it's been something that's been on my mind since the summer. And then I put it on the back burner because, you know, Jeff had made some improvements, seemed like he was doing well. And then Thursday he calls me and he's like, I need you to preach on Sunday. And I was like, okay, I have something that's half baked. So we'll see if it was, you know, we'll see how it lands. We'll see how it lands today in the full baked categories. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Galatians chapter six in just a few minutes. So let me open with a word of prayer and we will jump into this text. Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it speaks the truth to us. Help us be open to its truth. And I just thank you, Lord, that you give us direction. You don't leave us to figure these things out. And as we think about some things from your word, I pray, Lord, they would have the impact. Help us to be fully engaged and to allow your word to speak truth to us. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So I call, I titled this message, Shouldering Crushing Burdens and Backpacks. So you'll see why in just a minute. But in Galatians chapter 6, we're going to see here that um, Paul's going to be dealing with some very specific sets of issues that I think are going to be relevant for every single one of us in this room. Uh, and it won't, it won't come to any surprise for any of you that Americans are probably the most individualistic group of people in the world. They do study after study, and for the last 20 years, we rate like 96 out of 100 and being one of, you know, as far as the individualism category goes. And that means we just have a high value on personal freedom. We have a high value on specific status. And other cultures that would be the opposite end of that, other cultures would say, you know, they're more, they're more interested in being a representation of their family or their community or their group. And they would value conformity uh, and harmony with each other versus individual uh, personal freedom and status. And so that's the differences. And depending on where you are, sometimes it's very easy to critique cultures. So sometimes I look at America and I'm like, man, we are too individualistic. And I'm sure other people in other cultures would look at a culture that values harmony and say, we don't stand on our own two feet very well. And one of the things that I love about the Bible is that it doesn't leave and say one of these is superior to the other. What it really seeks to do is bring a balance between the two. And it's going to be able to do that. This particular year for us has been a struggle, I think, for our church community. There's been a lot more burdens that we've had to carry collectively. Uh, and I think all of us struggle this year or have struggled this year with the external weight. You know, like we, you know, Tom's listing off the people who are in surgery recovery. Our church is not that big to have three people in the hospital or going into the hospital and have so many people tr having treatments. And one of the things we see about all this external pressure that can happen is it can create issues internally too. It can, it can have impact and a weight that you can't see right? Because to carry other burdens, to have Pastor Jeff sick and to have elders out and all these things that kind of go with it, it just means it's, it's a little bit more difficult. And it, creates, it can create a certain set of problems for us. Because when we have an unexpected weight placed on us, that creates tension and it's difficult. And I think in America, we find that some of us have a very hard time asking for help. And one of the things the Bible is going to call us to do is to learn how to do that a little bit better and to, to be able to carry the, the load of other people who need help. And so one of the things we're going to talk about a little bit is to figure out which burdens are we supposed to carry ourselves and which burdens are we supposed to ask help with. And the scripture here is going to come along and, it's, and the scripture is going to come right into our face and it's going to challenge us. It's going to, it's going to hopefully provide an answer differently maybe than we would be expecting. One of the things that's unique about having an actual relationship with a person is that they don't hesitate to speak their mind. Does anyone have a person like that in their life that doesn't hesitate to speak their mind, right? 
How many of you are married or related to that person, right? There's something that goes with being in a relationship with a person where they can tell you what they think. They can critique. They can give their thoughts because there isn't the social niceties. There isn't all those other things. And, and statistics say in America, the average married couple has seven. Let me see. I'm going to read it because they phrase it very intentionally. Uh, disagreements or negative interactions. Seven disagreements or negative interactions a day. I know. Some of you are like, well, I'm way better than that. And some of you are like, only seven for the average person. Right? That's 200, 200 interactions that would be qualified as negative in a month. And the reason why that can happen is, again, if it's your coworker and they're annoying you, most of us are going to be a little more gracious in the way that we're interacting with them, right? But if your spouse or your child is annoying you, you know, the gloves come off pretty quick. It's like, stop doing that. And if we use that as the critique, or sorry, if we use that as the metric, the people in your family know you the best and disagree with you the most. Now, here's what I want to try to lay out for us. How many times have we had disagreements with God in his word? Have you had seven disagreements with God in his word in a year? And I think a lot of us don't have disagreements with God or his word. Now, maybe it's because we recognize that he's God and we're not and the power differential, he's all wise and we're not all wise. And if you're super spiritual, that's probably you. But if you're not super spiritual like me, the reasons why sometimes I don't really disagree with God very much is because when I sit down to read this, what do I have a tendency to do? Kind of gloss over the things that might actually be speaking directly to me in a confrontational kind of way. And so as I, as I hope to do something a little different today, I hope to let God's word confront us. I hope that there can be like a level of disagreement in your mind. Depending on which side you land on personality-wise, God's word is going to come and bring some correction to us. And I'm hoping that you will leave here being like, I don't know, God, I don't know if I agree with that. I don't know if I understand that. And so one thing, one thing God promises to do, though, is to, is to lovingly confront us, to not leave us where we're at and to be able to speak his truth. Because if the people in your life who love you the most will speak the truth to you, how much more should we expect God to speak the truth to us, to be able to confront us, to challenge us in the areas where maybe we're leaning on our own strength? And so in chapter six, we're going to jump right in here. We're going to see the fruit of the spirit is the end of chapter five. And I'm just going to read a couple verses of that section and then read the first two verses of Galatians chapter six. So if you have your Bibles, please open there. I'm going to start with five, verse 22, a passage that all of us are familiar with if you've grown up in the church at all. Here's what Paul says. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. And that's out of the NIV. And I just want you to notice, He's talking about the fruit of the Spirit and walking in the Spirit, and that can be very, like, otherworldly in a way. Like, if I ask you, what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? It's kind of like one of those symbolic things that we have a feeling about, but if I ask you for a few specifics, we might actually struggle with, well, what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? But Paul's going to now move, because Paul isn't the kind of person that just gives us some general teaching. He almost always grounds it in reality in real issues that we will experience every day. So let's take a look at verses one and two 
And we're going to see, what does it mean to walk in the Spirit according to Paul? Here's the first thing he says. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. And so instantly, he's going to say, well, what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? He's going to start to lay out some direction for us. He's going to call us to apply the fruit of the Spirit in a very specific way. And here's where he begins. He begins with a very real-world problem. When a person that we love is walking through life and then they slip into sin. Here's the the way that Paul translates it here. He says, uh, when someone who is caught in a sin. Now, the Bible talks about sin in two different kinds of ways. There's the hard-hearted kind. The kind that you know is wrong. You know God has told you not to. And in your heart, you're just like, I don't care. I know it's wrong. I know it's hurtful to other people, but I just don't care. But then there's the other kind of sin that you're just, you know, you're going to work, you're minding your own business, and suddenly something happens, and you find yourself in a situation, and sin is popping out, and you didn't even, you weren't anticipating it, you weren't waking up that day with the intent of rebelling against God, it just happens. The, the, the text here, the NIV translates it caught in sin, some translations would have this idea of sliding into sin. So if you decide to drive your car on a snowy day, and I'm famous for this, we get a snow day. I'm like, well, guess I'm going to work. No, he's always like, you know, you have the day off. You don't have to go in. Half the adventure is driving through the snow to get to work, you know, depending on it. And if you're driving to school or driving someplace in snow and you know you shouldn't and you slide off the road, could that happen? Easily. And it wasn't like I got out and I'm trying to think if I've slid off the road. I think I probably have. But it wasn't like I woke up, was intending to drive to work and was intending to slide off the road. That would be that hard-hardened version of sin. This is, you're minding your own business, and suddenly something happens. And then these internal sins start to come out, right? So here's a couple quick examples of ways that this can happen, at least in my opinion. We slip into sin. So chronic pain can easily lead to a snappy, kind of angry outlook on life, right? The chronic pain isn't your fault, but the way that it, it bears down on us, the way that it causes us to react to others can be. For those, you know, that has suddenly have money troubles, you didn't anticipate money troubles. What is the sin that can easily follow once you don't have as much money as you anticipated? Where does our minds go? By the way, you can give me some feedback here. When we suddenly have less money than we expect. Yeah. Rob a bank. That might be the most extreme version of that, but yes. Maybe stealing, you know, most of us, we just start to fret and worry and experience high anxiety, right? Or if you struggle from depression, again, not all forms of depression are sinful, but depression can easily lead to discouragement and saying that God is done with me, God is done with the situation, and we just give up, right? Circumstances of life can happen. That's the driving through the snowstorm. And sometimes those circumstances of life, we slip off. We find ourselves in dark places that we didn't anticipate. It wasn't like we were actively trying to rebel against God. We just found ourselves in this place. That's the context that Paul's talking about here. Now, who in here is going to end up slipping into sin this week? You guys should all be raising your hand. Thank you for the honest people in the back, right? It's going to happen. You're going to have less sleep. Your kid's going to say something. You're going to react. It's just, it's, it's who we are. It's, it's being sinful people living in a sinful world consequences like this find us all the time. And so here's where Paul starts to move in. And he, he's, he's speaking to the Galatian church and their specific issue was they had decided 
Um, we trust in Jesus to save us. But some Jewish Christians came along and said, but now you have to obey all these laws to stay saved, to keep your salvation. The slide that they found themselves was, we want to please God. And the way to do that is not to love Jesus. The way to do that is to obey the Ten Commandments and all these other laws that the Jews had to obey. That was their slide into sin that Paul spends the, pretty much the first half of this letter railing against. He's like, you've begun in the Spirit. You continue in the Spirit. It's not through your own effort. Knock it off. And that's the, that's the sin that this entire church had kind of slid into. But, you know, that doesn't mean that's the only kind. Again, this year, this church has experienced a lot of unexpected difficulties that can easily lead us into places that are not good, that are difficult. The Greek word that Paul uses here to talk about this load, in, in the translation I have, it says, um, someone caught in sin, you who are gentle, come alongside them. And then it says, carry each other's burdens. That word burdens there is the word translated uh, barrows. It is an overwhelming burden. So here we have this nice picture of a donkey. I will tell you, I don't know this for sure, but I'm sure the donkey was fine for those of you who worry about the donkey. All right. It's the kind of crushing load that comes unexpectedly that you feel like you can't get out from under. You know, again, for some of us, it's overwhelming discouragement and depression. For others of it, it's just not being able to get out of a financial situation. These burdens that feel like they're so overwhelming, Paul uses them almost exclusively as a sim symbolically. So when he's reflecting on his time in Asia Minor and he writes the church in Corinth, one of the things he says to them, and he reminds them of his time, he's like, we were under, and the word he uses is great pressure. It's the same word, barrows. We were under great pressure. And then here's what he says he experienced because of the pressure that was from outside. Here's what he goes on to say. It was far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of even life. He was like, this, this struggle was so sapping of my energy, I almost just wanted to give up on life as a whole. That's the crushing burden that Paul's talking about. He says, this person here, that slipped off the road is now experiencing a crushing burden that they can't lift themselves, right? This donkey needs help. This donkey left to himself or herself will not be able to get back up with that load on top. It's just impossible. And I feel like many of us in here understand that struggle. How many of us have felt like that sometimes? Just there's no way out. There's no way out. And yet Paul says there is. There is, there's instruction that he gives here. Because here's sometimes the struggle for us. What is the stereotypical Christian response to fellow believers who find themselves overwhelmed by sin or discouragement or depression or pain? What's the stereotypical response that the average Christian kind of does for people in that situation? One more time. Yeah, that's one. What else? Where is it? Sometimes it's, you just need to trust God. And again, there's truth to that. How many of us find it very difficult to know what to do when you see a person being overwhelmed like this? And so sometimes it's easier just to kind of like walk around them. Sometimes it's easier to just be like, I don't see that. Or to judge a person that's fallen under sin. Like, well, how'd you get there? So going back to our slippery road scenario, you know, I think as a parent, I would be tempted to do this. If my kid was driving, thank goodness that's still four years away on its way though my kids driving in snowy conditions slides off the road my first response might be like well how did you end up here did you go slow enough around the corner the same word used to correct here is also the same word used to put a joint back into place that's been dislocated 
Now, that is, you know, I can handle blood to a degree as long as it's not coming out of someone's mouth. I can handle cuts. Uh, one thing I have a hard time with is dislocated joints. Is anyone with me on that? Like, dislocated joints just don't feel cool to watch. Like, they make your joint feel like it's out of place. When a person is on the floor, and so the last time this happened, we were on the soccer field, and someone got ran over, and she dislocated her elbow. And it was just, like, flopping. And it was just, like, you know? There's, like, a temptation to be, like, I don't want to go near that because maybe I'll make it worse or maybe I can't offer help. When a person finds themselves slid into trouble, there is a temptation on our end to avoid it or try to come up with easy solutions. Now, Paul's calling us to do something different. He says the, the, the thrust of this text here is not the corrections and the teaching moments and the, and the consequences of sin, though there could be those, right, depending. But if you notice here what, what he says, you who are spiritual need to restore this person, and what's the word that follows? I hear it over here somewhere. Gently. Restore gently. And that's where we as a church body are to come alongside those who have struggled and fallen. There is restoration. There is putting the joint back into place. There is getting the cart back on the road, getting that person's life back on the path. But the attitude has to be one of gentleness and restoration as our driving desire, the thing we're really looking at to help this fallen person. Now, for those of us who, who've ever done that, there is pain in trying to help a person who's fallen. You have to shoulder underneath of what they're carrying to help get them up. And that can be very uncomfortable for everyone, right? Again, we as individualistic Americans have a hard time asking for help. And we, I mean, how many of you in the last year have had someone say sorry, or I asked you for permission for this, sorry, when they ask for help, as if asking for your help was this sinful thing that was like so ashamed or something. Anyone have that experience this year where someone apologizes for needing help? Like they did something wrong. Paul says, this is a regular attitude of the church to come alongside and help carry. It's a command. He says, those of you who are spiritual, who are walking in the Lord, one of our first missions as a spiritually minded person is to keep an eye out and to try to come alongside and help those who have stumbled and fallen or have loads that they cannot carry. And that is what we're seeking to do. Now, it is uncomfortable, right? I mean, how many of us feel like we don't even know what to do, right? We've already talked about that. But that doesn't come from the Father. The Father calls us here to do this. Now, the text we read uh, earlier was the, the passage out of Matthew 11. I want to just read it one more time. Jesus is calling to his disciples. He says, come, all you who are weary and heavy burden, and I will give you rest. I skip the middle part, go right to the end. And he says this, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Guess what word he's using there? Baros. Now think about that. Paul just got done using the word burden like a crushing weight. And Jesus comes along and, along and says, come to me. My yoke is easy and I, my crushing weight is light. What? How can a crushing weight, weight be light? Wait a minute. How can a crushing weight be light? There we go. Now, this comes back to Boy Scout days. I have this very fond memory. I was a Boy Scout for one whole year. And it was actually very enjoyable. We ended up moving. That's why I stopped being a Boy Scout. As I was being a Boy Scout, we went on a hike. And it was like a three-night deal or two-night deal, three days. And we, we hiked along. We were doing things. And my dad was on this hike. 
And um, I made it to the top of the mountain to the campsite before him. And I was like just beside myself because to this day, my dad is still one of the strongest men I know. And I beat him to the top of the mountain. And I was just like, that's right, old man. <laughs> I got you finally. Ten minutes later, here comes my dad around the bend. And what does he have? Three sleeping bags, half of another kid's pack, and two gallons of water that one of the other overprepared and underdeveloped campers brought with him. So my dad's hiking up, literally three sleeping bags, two under one arm, one in the other, water on one finger, and half of a kid's bag on the other, plus his own pack, which weighed more than I do. And he comes trucking up, and I'm like, right? But for him to carry those loads meant what for him? More weight for him in the moment. Now, here's where Jesus comes along and says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Because it's not that the burden is light. Is the burden of sin and consequences light? Nobody who understands sin ever says sin is light. Why is it light for you? Because he chooses to carry it. Grace is not free. Grace is free to you, and grace is free to me, but it's not free. Who had to pay? Jesus did. Now, here's the amazing thing. So Jesus says, I will help carry your heavy burdens, specifically the burden of sin, and you, my people, are to help carry the family of God's burdens. You look like me in this way. You come alongside those who are weary and heavy laden, and you help pick up their load. And yes, it's going to be uncomfortable. And yes, you're not going to know what to say sometimes, and you're not going to be able to, to carry everything that you see as far as needs go. But we are called to look like Jesus, to come alongside and help pick up the burdens of the weights that people can't carry by themselves. Because we all know this is true. The day is going to come when I'm going to need you to help me carry my burden. We're a community. And so Paul looks at this church, and he says this, there is pain in helping. But if you don't help, then people just fall and stay under their burden forever and can never get out and suffocate under it. And that is not how Jesus operates. And that's not how he wants his people to operate, that we come alongside and we help. So scripture comes along and, and challenges individualism. And here's where I had never thought about this before until I started writing this text. Yet Jesus, the perfect son of God, asked for help. There were times in his life where he felt the burden of things and he chose to ask for help. Now, again, the teacher in me, give me some feedback. Give me some times where Jesus needed help. A little louder. I'm older these days. The Garden of Gethsemane is the big one, right? He comes to his three friends and he says, I am overwhelmed will you stay awake for an hour and pray with me? And of course, what happened? They, they couldn't do it, but he needed them to do it. He's like, I am overwhelmed. I am burdened by the weight of what's coming. I need your help. He asked for help. Now, if the perfect son of God asks for help from his friends, who are we to walk around like, eh, no, I don't need it. It's crazy talk. Anyone else have another example of him asking for help or needing help to carry a burden? Simon of Cyrene, he could not carry the weight of the cross after the flogging and the beating that he took. 
And so they grab a man and force him to carry it, in a sense, so that Jesus could carry the consequence of sin and death. He carries it in order so that you and I don't have to. But he needed help carrying the cross. He couldn't do it by himself. So if Jesus asks for help, then that frees us to ask for help. We don't have to try to carry the weight of the world on our own shoulders without the church coming alongside and giving us help. So we, the, we are meant to carry some burdens, and we're about to move to that place, but I don't want to move too quickly away from the need to ask and to not need to apologize. Don't apologize. I don't think Jesus was like, you know, guys, I'm really sorry. I'm about to carry the weight of the world on my shoulders, literally, and enter into the depths of hell. Is it too much to ask if you could pray, please? I'm sorry for you. No. And we should be free to do that with each other. Now, again, the Bible brings a very clear line. So how many of us, you don't raise your hands, how many of us are on the, I will walk with a broken foot for miles before I ask for help side of life? You know who you are. And, and we're told that's, that's not the way. That's not the way. But there is the other side of the equation. Those of us who would shirk responsibilities that are not, that are not meant for us to give up. And he's going to come to that in just a second. Before we get there, he anticipates, Paul's going to anticipate the danger of pride. All right, so he's, he's, looking, at, he's looking at this church. He's, now we're going to take a look at verses 3. He says, carry each other's burdens, verse 2. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. Then he goes on to say, if anyone thinks that he is a somebody, when he is a nobody, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions and then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. Now that is crazy, right? Pride is one of the biggest sins that the Bible consistently says will earn you a place in trouble. And yet in this place, Paul's like looking at this group of people and he's like, if you're going to help people, you need to be able to see yourself accurately to be able to have a good self-reflection of who you are. Because pride can do two things in blinding us. The first is, Pride can make us think that we're less than we really are, right? Again, how many of us feel like we are unqualified to help those around us who are in trouble, right? I don't have that ability. I don't know what to say. And so there's this thing that comes into our lives that says, when a person is struggling, I don't have any way to help them. I don't have gifting. I don't have strength. Even though God tells us that you have been gifted and you have been created to do good works. Guess what some of those good works are? Helping the people in our immediate vicinity. And yet pride in one form says, I know what you say, God, about everyone's gifted and everyone has a purpose and a, and a mission, but not me. And that form of pride comes along and says, I know better than you. Yes, I see needs in my community. Yes, I see needs in my family, but they're not for me to, to solve. They're not for me. And, he's, and God would say, oh, yes, there is. It is for you to solve. You must see yourself as a person placed in the place that you're in for a specific reason. Um, because again, we can all feel the impulse that I don't know what to do. I don't have anything to offer this person who's going through rough, rough times. And the scriptures would come along and say, yes, you do. That desire to avoid difficulties is not from God. And so who's, who's in your world right now that needs help, right? And if you're the type that's like, I don't have any ability, he would say, oh, yes, you do. And don't believe the lie that you don't. But then there's the other side of pride, the more common form, the conceited form, the one that looks around and is like, yeah, I'll help you, but I never would do what you're doing, right? That form. And that form undermines the motivation of love big time 
Because you can tell when someone comes along and they're helping you, but they're not really there because they love you. There's like a, a form. And I think that's why many of us have a hard time asking for help because we don't want to owe anyone anything. Like there, we don't want there to be like a, a this for that kind of mentality. And that dangerous form of pride where it's like, well, yes, I'll help you get out of the ditch, but I would never drive on these roads and end up where you are. Yes, I'll try to help you with your addiction, but not, I, you know, I would never end up there myself. That form is equally destructive and equally dangerous. So Paul's anticipating the reasons why we might be disinclined to help. And he's like, just be aware. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. The law of love, the law of Christ is it's not about me. It's not about how I feel about the situation. It's about where you've placed me and I'm going to follow what you say. Um, and so here's where he now moves to the second form. He's now, he talks about personal loads. Look at verse five. For each one should carry his own load. And that, that Greek word there is fortion. It is a specific Greek word talking about a soldier's pack, which we'll come back to in just a minute. Because uh, there's a danger in not carrying your own load and shrugging off your responsibility. We live in a culture now that's watching the cascading effects when people decide not to carry their own loads. Because, go back to my dad's story with him bringing all this stuff up. It's fine if it's one or two campers. But what happens if the entire troop decides they don't want to carry their stuff? At that point, it becomes unbearable for everyone. Right, because I knew some of those campers. Like, how heavy is a sleeping bag, really? You know, three pounds? You can't carry a three-pound pack? And part of the problem is, there was people who just knew, I could just give it to this old guy to do it for me. He wasn't even that old. I think he was like almost my age at that time. Seemed old at the time. There is this idea of just like casting off the things, right? So to say, I don't want to help. I don't want to deal with my own family. I don't want to deal with things at work. I don't want to deal with things at church. The problem is this. He says, there are loads that you have to carry and no one else can carry them for you. So there is a way of taking off your pack for a minute, maybe to readjust, to have someone help you with your daily loads. But there's things that only you can carry. And so, you know, here's a picture of Jason and I holding our kids. Who else can raise them besides me? Now, other people could, but if they do, they now have the responsibility of their own lives, and now I'm asking them to take responsibility for mine as well. There are certain things that we are responsible for, that God has called us to carry, and it's no one else's job. So coming to a couple different categories, there are things in life that only we can do, only things in life that we can do. Now, the, the pack that the soldier carried, that fortion, that load, was about a 40-pound backpack specifically designed for soldiers to carry. There are loads that you are specifically designed to carry, and only you can, at work, with your home, in this church, in your neighborhood, in your community. You are meant to carry them. God put them in your life for you to carry. And if you choose not to, it's not like those things don't get carried. You know, if I choose to stop dealing with my kids, somebody's going to have to deal with them. And that becomes a problem. That becomes that cascading, overwhelming thing where because I choose not to carry what I need to carry, someone else has to do it. Things at work have to be done, whether I do it or not. They still need to be done, which means someone else has to come along and do it, along with carrying their own pack, their own responsibilities. Now, when it comes to spiritual things in our lives, there are things that only you can do. Only you can do the hard work of learning to forgive people who've hurt you. No one can do that for you. Only you can come to the place of asking and recognizing 
that you need repentance and dealing with your sin, taking responsibility for your own sin. No one can do that for you. No one can do the spiritual disciplines for you. No one can make you pray. No one can make you read the Bible. No one can make you do those things. But here's the cool part about it. As you learn to do the spiritual disciplines, as you learn to forgive and recognize the sin and take ownership, you get stronger to be able to carry the work around us. Now, there is this growing weight of life, I've noticed. Um, for about, uh, I think I, I did some weird research. For the last 2,000 years, a soldier's backpack weighed 40 pounds, pretty much across the board. From a Roman soldier up to the Civil War, average backpack weight for a soldier, 40 pounds. And I started to look into it more, starting with World War I, right up into the war in Afghanistan, backpacks have been getting heavier and heavier and heavier. And as of like the most recent thing I read about soldiers like 10 years ago, their packs weighed between 80 to 120 pounds. Now, think about this for a second. I think this parallels real life. Can a soldier carrying 120 pounds, are they able to maneuver well? And they're finding they're not able to maneuver well. Not only that, if I'm carrying 120 pounds, do I have any ability to help another soldier who's fallen with their 120 pound pack? It becomes this overwhelming burden of just living regular life. Now, I don't know if this is perfectly paralleled or not, but does it feel like life has gotten more and more stressful over the last 100 years? Is there more weight and loads that you feel like you carry just every day? And one of the challenges, I think, for us is to come to this place of saying, okay, I have weight, and maybe I'm carrying more weight than I'm supposed to. Maybe there's a load to life that I'm not really supposed to have to carry every day. Every day should not be an overwhelming burden. And yet I meet lots of people where everyday life becomes an overwhelming burden. And the question is, what do we do about that? What do we do about that? And I think maybe there's a couple places that we can start to think. Maybe we need to have more of a Mary attitude than a Martha. Right? Mary was pretty content sometimes to let certain things go just to be in the presence of Jesus. Maybe we need to let go of some of the things that we've been actively doing because it's just, it's too much. It's too much of a weight for us. It's overwhelming to us. And I think maybe one of the bigger things is what are the peripheral good things that we do that are too much for us? Again, it's not that it's bad to be part of this community and this club and this activity and do this and community service over here and all the things that we can do. All those things can be good. But if they become so much that we have to carry them and we don't have any energy or resources or time to help anyone else around us because we're too busy just trying to make it through this day with my load, maybe we need to start reevaluating what we're carrying and why we're carrying it. So now I want to ask the last question. What were the burdens that Jesus chose not to carry? What are things he didn't do that you would expect a normal Jewish person to do in his time frame? Because he had a bigger mission. He had a bigger mindset. What are some things he didn't do? Or maybe things he didn't own? It's okay. I don't mind silence. There's, a, there's actually quite a few things. Maybe you're struggling with coming up with them. One thing is he takes care of his mom. Like he takes responsibility for his mom. But does he own his own house? He didn't. He, he preached to thousands of people. He fed thousands of people. And how much money did he take for all the work that he did? He was so poor, he couldn't pay his temple tax at one point. And he's like, Peter, go catch a fish. Grab the first one. Open its mouth. There's going to be two coins. 
that'll be that'll pay for your temple tax and my temple tax because at this point I got nothing in my pockets. Right? There was a lot of things he chose not to carry because he had a, something really big he had to carry. He had he had he had a mission and a cross and a salvation plan that he was carrying and he did not get sidetracked. He did not pursue the other things that he could have. He left all those things go and he says my mission is I'm singularly focused. This can let be let go. This can be let go. This is the mission. And he calls us to do the same. So my question for us, is there burdens to everyday life that we're carrying that we could let go? Because how am I ever going to be able to help you carry your pack if my pack weighs 120 pounds to begin with? And that's a challenge for us. What are the areas? So some of us, we're carrying too much. Others of us are unwilling to carry anything else. And you see how this text comes right in the middle and says, you need to keep your eyes fixed on Christ. If you're too individualistic, you're never going to ask for help. If you're too community-oriented, you're never going to carry your own burden. You need both. You need to let Jesus walk that with you. You need to let Jesus bring that correction to you because only he can do it. So I want to wrap up here with a couple quick takeaways. Maybe. There we go. One, Paul says, don't try to serve like somebody else. Notice what he says. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. One of the dangers that we can fall into is comparing my gifting with your gifting, your ability to do this with my ability to do this. And if you notice here, Paul says, it's not, you're not comparing yourself to other believers in how they help other people's burdens. Some of us are un, unable to carry a certain kind of burden because of our past, because of our own sinful makeup, because of our nature. There's certain kinds of things going on that we can't carry, and that's okay. But that doesn't mean we can't carry anything. You know, it's like if you struggle with a certain kind of sin, maybe you can understand a person who does and you can come alongside them in a way that I never could. But it's incredibly dangerous for me to start to compare myself with you and how you're able to reach this people group. I struggled with that. You know, I was, I was a church brat, right? I grew up in the church. Um, and I was like so jealous on one superficial level of those who had horrible testimonies, you know, like coming out of drugs or addiction or violence. And I was like, I wish I was addicted to drugs and received instant salvation, you know? And I thought that the testimony, that was what you're supposed to have for a testimony. My testimony is not that at all. And eventually I got to the point of being like, you know, I, I guess I shouldn't worry about that too much. I just tell the story that is my story to tell. And by God's grace, I work with a bunch of high school and junior high kids that all grow up in the church who have a very boring testimony just like me. And I can understand their boredom because I was bored too. Those kinds of things we just can't predict. We cannot see. But to compare with you on your abilities is a dangerous thing. And it's not what we're supposed to do. The last thing is we can also compare with our past. Was I pursuing the thing to the best of my ability? That's what he means when he says you can compare with yourself. This service that I just did, was it my best? Could I have done it better? And let that be your gauge, not would somebody else have done it better than you? Number two, offer, offer help multiple times in humility. How many of us, when someone asks if we need anything, our first words are no? Right? Even if you didn't even process what they ask you. Do you need anything? Nope. I'm good. Sometimes we need a person to ask us lots and lots of different times and different ways. Do you need any help? What about this? I see a thing over here. Could that be done? Sometimes you can't just let their first no be the final answer. 
ask multiple times. And again, there has to be humility. We can't be in it for anything for ourselves. It can't be about a pat on the back, like look at me helping you. It has to be, and Paul will say in Romans 13, there is no debt between believers except what debt? Does anyone know that passage well enough? Continuing debt to love. That's what I owe you, love. And what do you owe me? Love, that's the only debt there is. Me helping you, you helping me. There's no debt there. There's no ledger of me helping you to you helping me scenario. That's not how it works. So we have to keep asking. And if, and if they say no the first time, figure out a different way to ask the same question. Number three, be willing to receive correction. If you notice in the beginning of this text, he says, when a person slides into sin, those who are spiritual need to come alongside and bring correction. Correction sometimes is awkward, right? Because that means something needs to change in me, and I don't really want to hear that. But we as fellow believers have to be people who are willing to receive correction. So Jesus would, you know, he gives this passage in Matthew 7 that gets overused in the wrong way. Don't judge lest you be judged, right? Take the plank out of your own eye before you can see the speck in your brother's eye. And then he says, once you take the plank out, then you can take the speck out of your brother's eye. He doesn't say, well, just leave the speck in your brother's eye. Who are you to do anything about it? He says, no, know yourself. And if you're spiritual and see an issue, address it. So I went to, I went to work for a guy in the summer back in college, and we were scraping rust off of an I-beam because I was working for the county, and that's what they had us do for like three weeks. And, was, and of course, the I-beams were all set up in the air. Like, heaven forbid we should scrape them and paint them while they're on the ground. You know, no. Let's build them first and then get ladders and hire a bunch of college kids to go paint it for like weeks on end versus just, you know, on the ground. So we're up there scraping away. And Tim, the guy whose ladder I was holding, starts like screaming. I'm like, what is going on? So he comes down the ladder with as fast as he possibly can. He's like, there's something in my eye. And I'm looking in his eyes like, I don't see anything, Tim. It looks fine to me. And he's like, there's something in my eye. So we call the foreman. He comes over. They take him to the hospital. Sure enough, he had a piece of rust that had scraped his cornea multiple times. I couldn't see it at all. He would have paid me any amount of money if I could have taken that speck out of his eye. If you've ever had a speck in your eye, there is nothing more annoying than that. Would you not want someone to come along and take that out? So when Jesus says, take the log out of your own eye, then you can help take the speck out of your brother's eye. But there's specks there. I have specks in my eye and so do you. And we need each other to come alongside and help take those out. When I slide off the road, I need to be able to receive correction from you and you need to be able to receive correction from me. That's part of being in a community. Number four, actively pray for the burdens of our brothers and sisters, right? That is probably the most powerful thing that we can do. Again, sometimes there's just burdens we can't carry. We can't help them. Again, if they're going through some super major issue, some physical pain, We cannot do much for them in that specific problem, but we can pray. We can pray for them. It's amazing how many times Paul asked fellow believers to pray for him for specific things. Like, I'm about to go into this area and I'm afraid. You're like, Paul, you're afraid? He's like, yeah, I'm afraid. Pray that I will have the courage to speak the word as I am supposed to. He asks for specific prayer requests. And when we are going through things, we need to be a community that prays and can ask for prayer. Number four, number five, ask for help when you're overloaded. When you're getting crushed, you do not have to fight it alone, right? Jesus didn't fight it alone. There were times he needed help. He asked for prayer and granted his friends failed him, 
they fell asleep. He's like, can you please pray with me? And they're like, sure, yes, Jesus. You know, they fall asleep instantly almost. Three times. Let's not be that way. Let's not be afraid to ask for help. And when we are asked for help, to give the best that we can with the energy that God gives us. Um, because that can be more uplifting than we know. So Paul, Paul had lots of times where he was discouraged and people came alongside of him and helped him up. And we are called to do that because Jesus is the one who ultimately carries the yoke, but he chooses to use his body of believers to do that for us. And lastly, don't unload on those who can't help. There are people who you would want to tell your burdens to, but ask yourself the question, by telling my burden to this person, am I adding weight to their life and not taking the weight off of my life at all? Right? The classic example would be the parent who's worried about things that tells their kid. Your kid on average can't really help you carry that burden. And by telling them your burden makes their life heavier and more worrisome and doesn't do anything for you. So there are places to take our loads and lay them on people, but ask yourself the question, is this person able to actually help carry my load? And if they're not, then, then don't give it to that person. Find someone else. Find someone else. And again, these, these walking and taking steps together. Don't unload on those who cannot help. All right, lastly, we are going through a valley. Uh, I think we're always coming in or out of one, right? In our church, we've had our issues for sure um, this past year. And there's an uncertainty to the future. And there always is an uncertainty to the future. Uh, but one of the things we want to be aware of is to think of it as an opportunity, right? Jesus calls his disciples and he says something rather remarkable to them. He says this, as I have loved you in John chapter 13, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all people, I'll say that again, by this love, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love who? One another. If you love one another, all people will know that you're my disciples. There is a ton of people who know us in this building who are never going to set foot in this building, but guess what they will see? How do we love each other when loads are being dropped? When life is getting way more complicated than we ever expected and there's more trials than we ever would have expected. If we love each other the way Jesus loved us, that becomes a testimony to them. We love because Jesus loved. So when Paul says in this text, in doing these things, you fulfilled the law of Christ, here's what he's really talking about. Fulfilling the law of love. The way that Christ loved me I love you, sacrificially, giving of myself. And in doing that, that stands out. That becomes something unique. When a group of people who are very diverse in all of their interests and talents and abilities can work together and help each other, that's something that an unbelieving world just doesn't see every day. And if we do that well, that brings glory to him in a powerful way. So don't be afraid to ask for help and don't be afraid to offer help. There are needs in our community. There are needs in this room. Some of them we know about, but I have a feeling there's a lot of needs in here that no one knows about. So if the Spirit is moving you, if the fruit of the Spirit and walking with Him is something that you are seeking after and you feel Him saying something to you, don't hold that in. If you need to talk to someone about a load that is crushing you, say something to someone today. Don't walk out the door and go right back to normal life as if there is no load in your life. You don't have to pretend here. And we collectively need to be people who allow people 
to talk about the loads that are crushing them. It's kind of unique that the holier and the more spiritual people become, the more the lost should be comfortable with them, explaining life and each other in our own sins to be able to explain and share with others and know that I'm going to be loved and helped. Now, maybe not just been like, oh, it's not a big deal. No, maybe it is a big deal. Maybe it does need help. Maybe it does need more than just one person. But that's what we're seeking, to be that kind of person, to be that kind of community that can do these things. And we can't do it on our own. That's why Paul's like, you need the Spirit. You need the Spirit to do these things, to be able to ask for help, to be able to offer help. All of these things come by his power. So if you're feeling that pressure of him speaking to you now, I just want to encourage you not to ignore that. Right? We have opportunity now to come for communion, and it's just one of those those regular times in, the, in, our, in our lives where we come before our Savior and we remember the load that he carried on that cross for you and for me. And because we know he loves us that much to carry that load, any load that we have right now, he's going to come in and help us with. But he might be wanting to use other people in our lives to help us carry that load by his spirit. So we're going to have a few moments of silence um, before Janice. Where is Janice? Hi, Janice. Uh, in a few minutes, Janice is going to come and start to play, and that'll be like the sign for the elders to come and um, get the, the elements and you for you to come and collect them. But I just want to give you a minute or two just to, to listen to what the Spirit would say to you. Is there loads that you're carrying and you need to share? Is there burdens out there that you see and you've just been afraid to step in? I want to encourage you just to do business with God in that way. Let me close in prayer, and then we'll have a few minutes, and then we'll take communion together. Lord, these things are beyond us. Most of us feel overwhelmed. We don't know how to handle some of our own issues, much less the struggles of those going on around us, but help us not be afraid. And I pray that we would increasingly be gracious to each other. As we have time now to reflect for a few minutes, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, give us insights into which burdens we can carry and maybe which loads we've been carrying that we need to let go of. We thank you, Lord, uh, that you model this for us, and we thank you uh, that you promised to walk with us. And we thank you that your yoke is light, not because sin is light, but because you carried it for us. And communion reminds us of that every single month. In your name we pray.